Acts chapter 18, verses uh, 24 through 28. And so we'll be concluding uh, this chapter today. It's been a while, about a month, since we've uh, been in the book of Acts. And, um, of course, we're going to be continuing on through the book of Acts until we're completed with it. But because of the holidays and other things, we um, took some time off from it. And to get, get you caught up, we'll go into some review in just a moment. But uh, our text is also our reading for this morning. And so if you are able to stand with me, please stand so we might read God's Word together. Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. And uh, someone once asked me, you know, why is it that we stand to read God's Word on Sunday morning? I I suppose I said rather bluntly, I said, well, it's because I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to read God's Word at least once a week. I'd rather that you read it every day and that you read it publicly every day, or not publicly, but I mean that you read it out loud every day or that you read it every day, whether you read it out loud or not. But uh, this could be somebody's first time reading God's Word this way. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that. But it's also been a practice of the church for many, many years that that God's Word is read publicly and we want it to be done together. So this is one reason why we do it. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Let's read together. Let's read aloud. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the blessing of reading your, your word today. May you, Lord, now anoint us and bless us and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may now gain the understanding and the instruction from this passage. We ask, Lord, that your Spirit would also lead us and guide us into doing that which, uh, Lord, you teach us today. For we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And this is our desire today, to receive your Word, that we might do it and, and do it gladly and do it obediently that you may get all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You all may be seated. In this day and age of GPS devices and the like, getting from point A to point B seems to be a lot easier. But even still, there's a need to update information because so much can change in a short time. 
Back in the days of maps, how many of you remember maps? Some of us may still have maps available. A person who relied so much on what were accurate maps could keep those maps for a long time until the day certain roads could not be found. And the suggestion then would be, get an updated map. But even with our modern GPS systems, brand new streets don't appear. And, and I can attest to that because when I was in Austin back in, in November, I, I, I got a GPS system down there, and my brother-in-law lived in an area where the streets weren't on the map. And I said, I just paid money for this, and they're not, the, the street's not here. You know? So you've got to even update the GPS system. And so in the account that we're studying today, Apollos had an old map that had been accurate in its day. But he desperately needed a new one. But before we look more closely at our text, it's important to review what has been happening up to this point in the book of Acts. Now the Apostle Paul has begun now his third missionary journey after a fairly lengthy visit to his home church in Antioch. Verse 23 uh, lets us in on that and provides the locations that he's called to. And by the way, verse 23 is, in fact, the, uh, the beginning of his third missionary journey. So it says there, after he spent some time there, and that is in Antioch, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So what this would do would be to put him back in the city of Ephesus eventually. But he would get there by going, first of all, through Galatia and then through Phrygia and visiting the churches in those regions and encouraging them not only with his presence, but with the Word of God. And this could have been no more needed than in the churches in Galatia, considering how fickle the people in those churches proved to be. And by the word, the book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatians, was not written to one particular church. It was written to many in this particular area called Galatia. It was not a city. It was an area. So there were many churches there. But, uh, but Paul realized that there was, uh, because of some things that had happened with Judaizers coming into the church, in other words, to tell them, listen, if you really want to be a Christian, you first have to be a Jew, and, get, and taking them, you know, these are Gentiles, taking them back into the law, rather than receiving the grace that they first received through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says to them in Galatians chapter 3. In verse 1 he says, O foolish Galatians! What has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the, healing, uh, the hearing of faith? Was it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith that you received the Spirit? So he's challenging them on their fickleness. Verse 3, he calls them foolish again. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made per, uh, perfect in the, uh, by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore he who has supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he challenges their understanding now. That first of all, they had received God's Word, that through Jesus Christ 
they would be saved. By the work that Christ did for them on the cross, they would be saved. Someone comes and says, but you know what? You don't, you don't have enough. You need to go back to the law. And Paul says, no, you're foolish if you think that way. So there was that fickleness that he's going to correct. By the way, here's a little quick sidebar, a little quick teaching on the book of Galatians. You can break down the book of Galatians into three tests for being strong. Because what he wanted to encourage them with was being strong in the Word of God and being strong in their faith. So the book of Galatians falls into three tests for being strong. First of all, in chapters 1 and 2, all teachers must be tested. In chapters 3 and 4, all truth must be tested. And in verses, or chapters 5 and 6, all testimony must be tested. So that was a quick little free little in, information on the book of Galatians. If you're studying it or reading it now, uh, I hope that helps. It's free. So you can take it with you, okay? Now, getting back to Paul and and, and his journey. So the focus of Paul's journey, uh, third journey then, in a word, was exhortation. He went out to exhort the churches. Now, exhortation falls into two categories. It falls into the category of encouragement. If If you exhort someone, you're encouraging them. But exhortation also means you warn them. You warn them to pay attention closely to the Word of God. You warn them to follow what God is telling you to do. So, exhortation and warning. This is what builds up the church. Now, the young believers in these churches needed to be rooted and grounded in the truth. From that example in, 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 in book, the book of Galatians that I just read, that should let us know. People need to be rooted and grounded in the truth of the Word of God. And young believers need that today. And I, I say more than ever, young believers need to get rooted and grounded in God's Word. And not move with every wind of doctrine. And I'll tell you what, with, with all the, the resources today that we have, like, uh, you know, uh, Internet and, and, you know, how quick information flies around us, it's easy to be moved this way and that way and not stay grounded in God's Word. And my great concern is for young people who are coming to Christ today, that they be taken in all kinds of directions rather than come to know who Jesus Christ is, to know Him personally, and, 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 and then to have and, and strengthen and develop a relationship with Christ. So that, that's an important thing for today, and I can't emphasize this more. But it brings us to the person that we meet here in the end of Acts chapter 18, known as Apollos. Because when Paul had departed from Ephesus for Jerusalem, he left his newfound friends and brothers in Christ, Priscilla and Aquila, he left them behind to continue the witness for Christ in and around the synagogue in Ephesus. And it is there that they surprisingly encounter this man named Apollos, preaching many of the truths that they themselves believed and taught. And though he had a Gentile name, Apollos, uh, was probably a Jew, and I say he was probably, really was a Jew, because that's what our text says. Verse 24, it says, a certain Jew named Apollos. Now, I have to say that because, for some reason, some people don't think that he was a Jew. Yet it tells us he was. So I want to believe what this, the, the Scripture says. But what might throw them off is that he, he had a, a, a Gentile name, and he came from Alexandria in Egypt. So... Nonetheless, Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria in Egypt, the second most important city in the Roman Empire. That city was situated on the Nile Delta in Egypt. And Alexandria was famous 
for a, a number of things. First of all, it was famous for its lighthouse on the narrow island of Pharos. It was famous for its museum. But more than anything, it was especially famous for its library. Because it had a library that eventually would contain 700,000 volumes in that library. That's a lot of books for that time. But there was also, in the city of Alexandria, a very large Jewish colony in the city, which during New Testament times made up about one-third of the population of that city. So that's, that's quite a, a number of Jews in one city. It was there that the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into the Greek, Septu, uh, Greek Septuagint version. Uh, that would be... Uh, the uh, 70 scholars that got together to translate the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek language because Greek now was becoming that uh, common language of, of all the, of the people. Well, with all of that in mind, what, what does our text then teach about this man named Apollos? Well, let's, let's take one verse at a time. Let's look at verse 24. And let's, let's learn some things about this, this man. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. The first thing that we want to know about this man is, and that we learn about this man, is that he was a gifted laborer. A gifted laborer. And when I, I use the word laborer because he was laboring in God's Word. Not only laboring in learning it, but he was also a laborer in presenting it. And he was a gifted laborer. Because it says that he was an eloquent man, and that he was mighty, it says, in the Scriptures. You know that he came from Alexandria, made it clear that, that Apollos had impressive educational credentials. I would say that you'd have to, you'd have to probably equate his, his educational experience with somebody who not only received his bachelor, but possibly his master's, and even a doctorate. But what is more significant is that he was not only eloquent in that he communicated his message clearly, but he was also mighty and powerful in the Scriptures. Because the word that is used for mighty here in the Greek, the word dunatos, which is also tied in very much with the word dunamis, which we learn back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that you shall receive power, when Jesus said to the, to the apostles, you shall receive power, dunamis, it's tied into that word. So the word used for mighty is used by the Holy Spirit through the person of Stephen, when he gives his message before he is stoned to death by the Jews, this is in Acts chapter 7, and this is when he is describing Moses. So in his sermon to the Jews, Stephen says in Acts 7.22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. That's the other time that that word is used. When it talks of Moses, that he was mighty in word and deeds. So the word mighty and powerful come to mind. But one other word. It's the word competence. Now, in the English, competence doesn't have as strong a, a, a flavor as, as mighty and powerful. But consider what competence is. Because when you understand competence, you realize that it is speaking about capability, it is speaking about ability, it is speaking about skillfulness, and about fitness. 
And when you wrap all of these things together with might and power in, in, in speaking, it, it says a lot then about what this person Apollos had as far as gifts were concerned. And, and this, of course, was in what Paul, uh, Apollos knew and what we know as the Old Testament Scriptures. We're not talking about the New Testament. We're talking about the Old Testament. This is what he knew. This is what he was strong in. This is what he was mighty in and powerful in. The Old Testament Scriptures. So there are those who believe that he was at some point brought in touch then with the Gospel and had become a believer in Jesus, but was limited in his knowledge of Christ up to this point. And yet his great talents and his abilities would be used with great passion as we see in the next verse in our text. So we read in verse 25 then, This man, speaking of Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. You stop there for a moment. Immediately you think he's speaking about Jesus. But more than likely, because of his understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures, it's probably speaking of the way of the Lord, because that phrase is used in the Old Testament a few times in dealing with Yahweh or, or Jehovah God. So, we're not yet convinced at this point that he's really speak, it's speaking about Jesus. But he's been instructed on the way, nonetheless in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, which means passionate and, and vigorous in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, when he speaks and teaches accurately the things of the Lord, this may include his understanding up to this point of Jesus. But nonetheless, what brings us to that thought is that it says, though he only knew the baptism of John. So why is this important? Well, first of all, he's not only a gifted laborer, but this verse, verse 25, teaches us that he's also a godly laborer. He's a godly laborer. And again, we know that Apollos was well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures, teaching them with eloquence and power, but he was also fervent in his spirit. Think about this. He was fervent in his spirit, and he was diligent in his presentation of the message that he preached. In other words, he believed what he was preaching. He believed everything that he was saying to those that he was preaching to about God. And that says a lot about somebody. Because I, you know, I, I think maybe all of us, if not many of us, have, have sometimes heard people say things, and we think, you know, he said that, but it doesn't sound like he really, he really means it, or he really believes it. And you know, that's dangerous when it comes to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to believe what we preach. And so this was the heart of this person named Apollos. In other words, he was zealous. For the word of God, yet he was somewhat deficient in his knowledge of the Christian faith. Now think about it. He was bold enough to enter into the synagogue and preach to the Jews. But the problem was that this passionate man was declaring an incomplete gospel. He was declaring an incomplete gospel. His message got as far as John the Baptist and then it stopped. Now guess what? Apollos was relying on his old maps. Got the picture? He could only go so far. There's other roads. 
in the sense of uh, things that will lead us to Jesus Christ here, and he hasn't gotten there because he's only gotten to John the Baptist. Now, why is John important here? Listen carefully. If you go back to the beginnings of John the Baptist to understand what John's message was, then you get an idea then of what Apollos' message was probably. So, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. John's father, Zacharias, a priest, is given the privilege of entering in to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. And, the, and, and so he goes in, but then all of a sudden he meets with an angel. And long story short here, verse 13 says, The angel said to him, Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. These were two uh, elderly people, Zacharias and Elizabeth. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Takes that great vow, the the Nazarite vow, most people believe. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Turn them to the Lord their God. What is John's purpose? What is John's message? What is John's reason for being? It is to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Who does he point them to? Jesus Christ. Verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord who's coming his cousin, Jesus Christ. So in verse, in chapter 3 now, when we come to the ministry of John the Baptist, verses 3 through 6, it says that he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism, notice, of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Who does John point to? Jesus Christ. When John finally sees his his cousin for the very first time. In John. The Gospel of John. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who taketh away the sins of the world. He's pointing to the salvation of God, who is Jesus Christ. So John was preparing the people to receive the Messiah of Israel. A repentance of sin. A turning back to God. But may I say to you, that won't save you. Yes, you need to repent. But you also need Jesus. You need Jesus the Savior, for without Him you will die in your sins. And I want you to consider what Paul would write in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Because it gives us an indication of people who come only so far. Could it be that they have only been given a map that leads them to a certain place? They need to update their information. But in Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, 
Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Not laying those foundations again. Of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Let's press on. Let's take new information that is given. And update our understanding. Because Apollos may have, not, have known nothing about Calvary. Listen carefully to me. Apollos may have not known anything about Calvary. He may not have known about the resurrection of Jesus or even the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So this man, Apollos, had zeal, but he lacked spiritual knowledge. And if we can commend him for anything up to this point, and I think we should, if we can commend him for anything up to this point, it is that he shared the little he did know. And he shared it boldly, and he shared it fervently, but he shared the little that he did know. I hear too much from Christians. Oh, you know, I don't know a whole lot. Well, learn more. I don't really know how to share. Well, then learn how to share. Read the Scriptures. Look at the examples in the Word of God. But even if you know a little, share what you know. It may be that somebody, all that somebody needs to know is what God has done for you. And they need to know that it was real. And that it was genuine. And that you're changed because of what Christ did for you. Let me take you to the one, one of the greatest theological statements ever made. By a child. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I didn't go into some grand discussion of some kind of dispensationalism or lapsarianism. I, I'm just throwing things out there. You might know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. No, they're theological terms. We need to know Jesus, folks. We need to have this truth. And if we know what He's done for us, then we can share that. Do you understand now? We share the little that we know, but if we have a little knowledge, then share that knowledge with great passion and with great fervor and with vigor and intensity. Because someone may only need to know that to have his life changed forever. But then at the same time, update your maps. And learn more of God's Word. And stay in God's Word. Because as we now move on. Well, first of all, you know, my question is, you know, Apollo shared little, but he shared the little that he, know, that he knew. How many of us are doing that? Let's do it. But this is all going to be seen and corrected as we enter into the next verse. And this is encouragement for you. 
if you think that you only know little. Look at verse 26. Acts 18, verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now what have we learned about Apollos up to this point? He was a gifted laborer. He was a godly laborer. But now we learn, and this is of great importance, we learn that he was a gracious leader. He was a gracious leader. Now I use the term leader here for this very reason. That any person who teaches or preaches God's word is a leader whether right or wrong, whether true or false. Understand, I'm just giving a broad understanding of this. But if a person stands in front of people and, and proclaims or reads the word of God or proclaims the word of God, whether he's right or wrong, whether he's done it right or, or whatever, or whether it's, it's true or false, because we know there's false prophets out there, in any way they're leading people, whether they're leading them to God or they're leading them astray. You understand now? This is leadership. But he's a gracious leader. We know that he's a laborer, but he's also a leader. And there are many false teachers, false prophets and the like today. But what is wonderfully refreshing in the person of Apollos is that he had a teachable spirit. He had a teachable spirit. He was able to take what Aquila and Priscilla gave him as far as correction, gentle correction, I'll get to that in a moment. But he was able to take it to become a better preacher, to become a better teacher in the Word of God. Having a teachable spirit is so important in leadership today. Because there are those today who, if you want to encourage them gently and let them know, you know, this is probably a little better maybe to go in this direction or that. I've oftentimes even heard the statement, well, who made you the Holy Spirit? At that point, I think, I don't think this person should be a leader if he doesn't have a teachable spirit. So, this is what we learn of Apollos and Paul in writing to Timothy. Paul in writing to Timothy of the qualifications of elders and bishops, that you call bishops in the, in the scripture here. But this is what he said to him in 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. He said, a bishop then must be blameless, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and then notice the last phrase, able to teach. Y'all see that? Able to teach. Now, that little three-word phrase there, able to teach, or as in the King James, apt to teach, implies something. It implies that a person is not only able to teach, but he is also able to learn. A good teacher is always learning to be a better teacher. A good teacher is always going for... Uh, uh, Classes to, to improve, to learn what's the latest thing in a, in a certain or given uh, uh, discipline. So a good teacher is one who will learn as well and has a teachable spirit. 
Priscilla and Aquila were deeply impressed with Apollos, but they detected immediately the flaw in his preaching. So with exceptional skill and discretion, what I mean by that is with rare tact, they made no attempt to correct him publicly. They didn't corner him. They didn't accost him after the service and begin to argue with him, you know. Hold him up by, you know, by his collar and say, you know what you said? You know. They call that, uh, there's a word for that, uh, you know, uh, to buttonhole somebody. <laughs> corner him and accost him publicly. They didn't do that. They didn't argue with him. They had a better way. Why? Because that comes from discerning, the, uh, having the discernment of the Spirit. And without speculating too much here, the couple probably took Apollos home for a Sabbath meal, and they spoke to him clearly and plainly about the Lord Jesus Christ. They spoke about his death, his burial, his resurrection. They probably taught him the things that Paul had taught them when they spent time breaking bread together and speaking of the wonders and the wondrous work of Jesus Christ. They probably told him at the same time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem at Pentecost and all the subsequent baptisms in the Holy Spirit that had been taking place. Something new, something fresh had happened and was happening. And Apollos needed to get up to date with these things. And more than likely, all of this was done with gentleness and it was done with love. Filling in all the gaps in his knowledge of the truth. It was not done condescendingly. It was not done to make him feel as if he wasn't smart enough to know these things. It was done to say, a lot has happened since John. A lot has happened since the baptism of John. And you need, to know, you need to know that this is the message that now needs to be preached. And I hope that this is how the Word of God is taught here. If we do it with love and gentleness, that we do it with clarity, that it's done to fill in the gaps, as it were. And... Uh, and I hope and pray that it encourages as well. But Paul all the more instructed Timothy in his last letter to his son in the faith, which gives us an idea that this is exactly how Aquila and Priscilla met with Apollos. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26, Paul writes and says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Notice, able to teach, which also implies what? Able to learn. And then patient. Patient. And then in verse 25, it says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You see, there will be some that we have to encourage to, to leave something that is binding them, 
The enemy certainly desires to bind us and to keep us from the truth. But Jesus very clearly said, The truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. So, Apollos needed to update his maps and realize how grand the truth had become. And under that sensible and heartfelt tutelage, this gifted and godly and gracious man would would grasp with diligence all the truth that had been lacking in his ministry. And so with this in mind, as all of this has happened, and all of this is happening, verse 27 now, as we move on here to the last two verses, we're now going to see what Apollos becomes. We've seen what he is. A gifted laborer. A godly laborer. A gracious leader. But in verse 27 it says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, which translates into saying that he wants to go to Corinth, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples there to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So what had Apollos become? He became a given and guided leader. He was a given leader because he was now being given to the church because of his updated information. And of course this takes time, but in the time that we've been given, you know, it seems a lot quicker, but whatever time it was, he was now being given as a leader to another church with good commendation. And he was one guided. Guided not only by those letters to the place where he desired, but guided by the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that in just a moment. But he was a given and he was a guided leader as a result of his teachable spirit. The brothers and sisters in the city of Ephesus, or I should say in the church of Ephesus, encouraged him in his desire to go to Corinth in order to preach the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ by giving letters of commendation so as to find ready acceptance wherever he went. Now that's a, that's a beautiful practice of the early church. I believe that we, we, we've done the same with, with our blessed brother Daryl, who left us back in September to go to the Fort Worth area. We prayed for him last week as he started his ministry there in, in Fort Worth. I had to write a letter uh, to, to the Calvary churches uh, in particular, but, uh, or in general, but uh, to those in particular in Texas who... They, they received him well. And, and so uh, that's just the book of Acts continuing on, you see. And then there was a beautiful practice of writing these letters of recommendation. But there were letters of commendation. And the fact of the matter was, it was that truth of saying, this person knows God's word, teaches God's word, stands on God's word. So this gives indication that his ministry in Ephesus following his lessons from Aquila and Priscilla, became quite effective. Because many lives may have been changed through his powerful and his passionate preaching. For them to be able to write these letters to the churches in Corinth. He was not only received warmly by the Christian community in Corinth, as we'll see in just a moment, but he he exercised a remarkable influence in that church. And so in verse 28, 
It says, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now that may apply to Ephesus, but it may also apply to Corinth as well. Now he becomes one last thing. He becomes a great laborer. He was not only a, a given and a guided leader, but now he's a great laborer. Because the Holy Spirit is never without his instruments. The Holy Spirit is never without his vessels. That he guides, that he leads, that he places in various places, in various areas, in various churches. The Holy Spirit is never without his instruments. And Apollos made a great impact in the Jewish community in Ephesus as well as in Corinth as a vessel in God's hand. And remember that the Jews had driven Paul out of the synagogue by their rejection there in Corinth. So the Lord sent another messenger bringing the same truths to them, but in a different way and with a very different personality. Now please understand, that doesn't mean that Paul was deficient. Understand though that God knew what he was doing both with Paul in Corinth and with Apollos in arriving afterwards. And I'll talk about the difference, uh, you know, the, the different way and different personalities in just a moment. But, but this text tells us that Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, which means that he zealously and intensely convicted and convinced them to shame. In other words, that as he stood as, as, as an apologist of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his arguments, his rational arguments, and his right arguments brought those who wanted to argue him to shame. That is what this phrase is saying. He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And by the way, that phrase, Jesus is the Christ, literally means that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah or the Messiah of Israel. Now, W.E. Vine says that the intensive form of the word that says vigorously here means that Apollos met the opposing arguments in turn and brought them down to the ground. That it was the kind of apologist for the faith that Apollos was. And such was Apollos, the man that Paul would come to appreciate greatly and of whom he would speak of with terms of love and respect. So we have much to learn from this man that we just met here in Acts chapter 18, named Apollos. He was a gifted laborer. He labored for the Word of God. But he had gifts. He was eloquent. He, he was mighty. knew the Scriptures. He was a godly man and a godly laborer because he believed what he preached. And, and he was a gracious leader because he had a teachable spirit. But he would become from the lessons that he learned, he would become this given and guided leader and one who continued to be a great laborer now for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a few things that I want to leave with you, some other little lessons that that we want to take with us today. Because this message, if it's for anyone, it is for you who are a believer in Jesus Christ and need to be encouraged by this man, Apollos. No different than Elijah, what we spoke of the last few weeks about Elijah being a man of like passions. He was human. Apollos, Paul, Peter, Elijah, David, 
Solomon, all of us human. But we can learn the lessons from a heart that is given completely to the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, eloquence and passion. And listen carefully. Eloquence and passion, while they are valuable gifts, are not in themselves enough for Christian workers. It's not enough that you are eloquent and that you are passionate. We must know Jesus Christ. We must know Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that I did not say that we need to know facts about Jesus. Or we need to know about Jesus. I said we must know Jesus Christ. We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher in London, had a school for, for preachers. And the first lesson he says, listen, if you want to be a preacher of Jesus Christ, you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So you need to know Christ. He wasn't looking for ability, eloquence, passion. He wanted to make sure that those who were going to preach believe what they were preaching. So eloquence and passion, while they're valuable gifts, are not enough for Christian workers. We must know Jesus Christ. Secondly, even knowledge of the Scriptures and skill in presenting them are not enough. You know what we need? We must know Jesus Christ. Gee, sounds like a broken record. Do they even have records anymore? A broken CD. A broken MP3. A broken iPod. We must know Jesus Christ. There are people, there are people who read the Scripture. They, 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 they read, they read it daily probably but they don't have a personal relationship with Christ. That, that sounds strange to me, but that happens sometimes. Still, you can have skill in presenting, but we must know Jesus Christ. Thirdly, <clears throat> different kinds of people are needed in Christ's work. Different kinds of people. Folks, we don't have church so that we can all be clones. You know, because I don't, you know, there... You, you've probably been there. Maybe you've been there. Maybe not. But there are times when you can go into a church and everybody looks alike. They dress alike. They smell alike. They sound alike. You know. And they just become clones. We don't want you to be clones. There's only one of me. That's all I need. That's all the world needs. Just one of me. Only the world needs only one of you too. Okay. So don't get you know. But all of us are needed. All of us are needed. Different kinds of people are needed in Christ's work. Priscilla and Aquila were different than Apollos. They were a couple. He was single. They were tent makers. He was a preacher. But he needed them. And they saw what he could do to the, for the church. Apollos and Paul were different. Paul, you know, brought rage to the Jewish uh, people in the synagogue. Apollos would go and argue in a grand way. Not that one was wrong or one was better than the other or one was worse than the other. But each one is necessary in the body of Christ. Each one of us is necessary in the body of Christ. I can't go where you are when, uh, during the week. You know, where you go to work, that's where you go. That's where God's called you. That's where God's placed you. 
So we're all different and we're all needed. So let's keep that in mind. And lastly, if workers are lacking where you are, pray and ask the Lord for help. Maybe this has been your testimony. If you thought you were the only Christian in a place, man, people were beating you down because they they made fun of you or they said this or that or whatever. And, you know, there's always that little win if there's one Christian someplace where there's a lot of unbelievers. And you prayed and you said, Lord, let there be somebody else. And eventually, boom, somebody else pops up. Why? Because God's gracious to hear your prayers. And by the way, you don't want to be like Elijah who said, Lord, here I am all alone. And the Lord said, oh, I've got 7,000 just like you. And, and so you, you have to understand that if, if, if you're lacking workers where you are, pray and ask the Lord for help. Because I want you to consider what Jesus himself said. This is the last verse of scripture we're going to share today. Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said, he, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I have no doubt whatsoever in my mind and heart that Aquila and Priscilla prayed in Ephesus for someone to come. I have no doubt in my mind that before Paul left Ephesus, he prayed and said, Lord, I've got to move on. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And I know Priscilla and Aquila are here. But send someone. Send people to help. And Apollo shows up. If we pray the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest, he's going to do it. But folks, it begins with you. I don't know a lot. Then whatever little you know, share that to someone who needs to know Jesus Christ. You don't need to know a lot. You just need to believe what you know. And let people know. Even if it's saying, Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. Apollos is a tremendous example of a labor, a labor for the harvest who had to update his maps, who had to update his GPS concerning Christ because there was a lot of new information. Let me just put it this way. There's a lot of old, old information that's still new. And it's 66 books brought together as one. And, and we have no excuse. We have everything God has given us. And we need to get into God's Word. We need to begin to read and study. And we need to begin to pray. Because you see, the harvest is truly plentiful. But the laborers are few. Pray then, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers to support you in the work that God's called you to do, where you are. Let's pray.